This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Want to become the sort of developer top rail shops like ThoughtBot fight over? Join Upcase today to get the pro training, insider knowledge, access to ThoughtBot developers, and a community of like-minded learners you need. Hone core skills like Vim, Tmux, Git, and Rails by visiting upcase.com slash half off to get 50% off your first month of Upcase. Let's get that junior out of your title and start leveling up today with Upcase. Um, oh man, we usually say something funny before we actually start. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, we should just start. Cool. Hello, Lila. Hey, Derek. Hello, Grayson. Hello, Derek. Hello, Lila. Hey, Grayson. <laughs> so we're joined by Grayson Wright today, who uh, is here to talk to us about Administrate, which is an open an open source administration library that you created out of nothing, correct? Uh, yeah. So Administrate is a framework for building admin dashboards in Rails. Uh, it's kind of a competitor to Rails admin or Active admin, which are the most popular tools on the open source market right now. Cool. So what what like like uh what like what were the problems that you had with those that you um mm-hmm. that you you felt the need to kind of create something new. Right. So if we're starting with Rails admin, uh one thing that I noticed when I started at Thoughtbot is Rails admin is our go-to solution and it has a lot of um kind of questionable user interface decisions uh some like not the most usable interfaces generally and going through and building a lot of rails admin dashboards for our clients um i felt like we weren't uh, delivering the most useful and sustainable uh products to them uh and i knew that we had our our own uh bourbon and neat libraries that provided great defaults out of the box and uh, wanted to expand upon those to create really usable interfaces. Another pain point that I felt was uh, customizability. Um, Active Admin and Rails Admin both use uh, pretty heavyweight DSLs, uh, domain-specific languages, to customize the dashboards. And it's a lot of overhead for developers to learn the new DSLs, and then uh, it makes it difficult to maintain in the long run. Yeah. Lila, had you used Rails Admin and Active Admin or something like that before? Yes, I have used both and I agree with Grayson's assessment. I think that I, I think we all feel that there it's like really great to have something that you can just kind of grab and plug in and it works. It provides a nice UI on top of your database basically. But the DSLs can be difficult to learn and um as I recall, at least with Rails Admin, if you want to do customization or configuration, um, the way you do it is by editing like one file and it's like, you know, it might get to be 500 lines long, a thousand lines long. So the developer experience of customizing or configuring a Rails admin or an active admin left a lot to be desired. That's a good point. Um, on Upcase, we started with a pretty extensive uh, Rails admin dashboard and um, as Part of testing administrate, I went through and tore that out and uh, replaced it with administrate. Um, and I think it was a close to thousand line uh, configuration file. 
Wow. And it was all in an initializer. So yeah. if you wanted to make any changes, you needed to restart the server afterwards. Um, so not great developer experience. Right. I, I was uh, intrigued by your use of the word framework when you were describing what Administrate is and what it does. And I, I thought that was interesting because I don't think of Rails admin or Rails, or sorry, Active Admin as frameworks. I think of them as, um, well, they're, they're engines, right? They're implemented as Rails engines. Mm -hmm. So why do you think that framework is a good way to describe Administrate? Yeah, so when I was originally building Administrate, I was calling it a library or something. And then I think it was only when I wrote the announcement blog post that I kind of moved to the framework language. So I originally had in mind that it would be a Rails engine. It turned out that I wanted to surface as much of the underlying internals of Administrate as possible to the end user. So instead of mounting an engine in the routes file like engines usually work, we just generate some predefined routes. So we're not hiding anything in the routes file from the user and it's very easy for them to tell where they need to go to customize things. And another reason that I call it a framework, I feel like this is similar to clearance in a little ways. Administrate relies a lot on the user overriding specific controllers and views to get the behavior they want, whereas Rails admin and active admin take a DSL approach. Uh, say, for example, you want to uh, customize how you look up a resource. You want to look it up by its slug instead of its ID. In Administrate, you would simply override uh, the relevant controller action and uh, override a method that finds the resource for you uh, instead of going to DSL. So if you want to, you can take it to the extreme and overwrite every action or every view. And at that point, you could just remove Administrate from your gem file and it would continue to work because the entire time you've been writing valid Rails code. Yeah, I mean, I, I like that idea. I definitely, when I had used, I had never used Rails admin extensively. I've had, I'd experienced it on projects before, but I had used both Rails, I'd used active admin and I had built my own custom admin. And like you touched on this earlier, I always felt like when we did active admin, it felt really good in the beginning because it was like, oh, we're getting a lot of stuff for free here like it was always on sites where like we were delivering some something else that wasn't just the admin interface right the admin interface was for a few people who were going to administer the site but the majority of the site was not the administration and so we felt like we were getting a big win using something like active admin or rails admin but then as the project dragged on it was like well i want this like i want this other thing to happen in my ad like i want admins to be able to do this and the fact that it wasn't just Rails at that point. And Active Admin, I feel like, is, is a little more just Rails than from what I've seen of Rails Admin. But it still have to consult the documentation a lot to figure out, like, how do I make it do, you know, whatever it is. And we, we ended up, we also had, like, performance problems with it. Because by default, it starts to, it allows you to, like, it shows a bunch of filters over on the right of every page. And, like, those can load up associated records and end up giving you, like, drop downs with thousands of items in them. And, and crazy <laughs> things like that. Um, yeah. So like what I'm trying to say is I think they have a place, but I like the idea that administrate is like a little more straight rails and that when I need, like in the beginning, I can just use it and it's fine. And, but when I need to customize it, I can generate the controllers, generate the views, generate, I mean, generate the um, dashboards, I think is what you call them, which is like mm -hmm. kind of like the, is, is that like fair to say it's like the model that drives the the admin part kind of? Uh, yeah, that's a good analogy. So right. it's basically 
Administrate generates a dashboard for each model in your database. And dashboards do things like uh, specify which attributes are displayed on the index page uh, versus the show page versus the form page. Um, and then also, right now, the only other method in there is uh, takes a resource and displays it in a human-readable format. And that's used across Administrate dashboards. So, yeah, that's a good... It's kind of like a small wrapper around the Rails model layer. Yeah, and I remember like when you first brought this up as an idea, because we had at ThoughtBot for a while, we had talked about the pains of Rails admin and active admin as the projects grew. And some people like just really weren't particularly thrilled with like the default UI that comes out of them and thought we could have done better. Like so from from a design and development perspective, we thought that these experiences were lacking. And people would be like, well, why don't we build one? And then everybody would laugh. <laughs> yeah, everyone would be. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And everybody would yeah. be like, no, that's insane. Yeah. And then when you were like, I'm going to build this admin dashboard thing, I remember distinctly, <laughs> I don't know if I told you, but I remember distinctly being like, that's insane. Like, yeah. The, like, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, I don't know if I expressed that, uh, but I definitely had the same reaction. I thought like, whoa, that's incredibly ambitious. <laughs> and I'm, I'm really, you know, I'm impressed. I'm impressed. <laughs> so I had thought I just kind of thought that like it's it is really hard like do you think do you, was it harder looking back than you had thought it was going to be or was it about the effort you thought it was going to be or because I was sitting there thinking this is way harder than he thinks it's going to be <laughs> or or that you were going to end up delivering Rails admin or active admin right <laughs> and be like oh I see how they ended up here so like and you didn't so like but I'm curious as to like if if you thought if it ended up being more work than you thought it was going to be or if you had it kind of adequately pegged in your mind mm -hmm. I think it definitely took more time than I was expecting it to I've been planning on shipping in 2 weeks since like uh, I think early June and then I finally got it out like last weekend of October. When did you, can I ask, when exactly did you start work on it? I don't remember exactly when you started work on Administrate. So I looked back through the current repository and it goes back to about March. I think I did spike out some proof of concepts in a different repository. So probably near like mid-February, which I think was around the time that my apprenticeship had ended. So okay. it was. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So from mid-February till, you know, two or three weeks ago. Yep. Yeah. It's about nine months. Yeah. But it was, I mean, it was the way that we build things here. It was usable before then, right? So, like, we had been using it on a couple internal things for a little while before we submitted that blog post, right? Mm -hmm. Before you published that blog post. Yep. Uh, we were using it on Hound for a while. There's only a few admin dashboard tasks that Hound needs, and it didn't already have an existing dashboard, so it was a good testing ground. Um, and then we opened a pull request for it on Upcase. Um, that hasn't actually gone through yet. I need to revisit that. And uh, Why hasn't it gone through? Uh, I think, so Upcase already has an existing Rails admin implementation. Uh, it's the thousand line configuration file I was talking about. So there are specific application flows that the Upcase team uh, relies on to get their work done. And we kind of got hung up in verifying that everything worked correctly uh, after switching to Administrate. So something I want to revisit. Uh, we've also used Administrate in a couple client projects kind of as experimental tests, but uh, it worked out really well in the end for them. So Cool. Did you encounter any, um, maybe not reluctance, but I guess my question is, did you feel like you had to work hard to get people to adopt Administrate? 
or were people pretty open to it? I think initially, as you said, there was a lot of skepticism. <laughs> um, sure. So in San Francisco, I did a couple of demos uh, where I showed the progress I was making with Administrate, um, showed how much easier some customizations were when you didn't have to write them in a DSL. And after that, I got a lot of buy-in. Um, when we took it to use it on the client projects, uh, it was a lot more developed at that point. And really, since for the last few months, I've gotten nothing but uh, positive responses to it. So it seems like it really hit a pain point, which is very gratifying to hear. Yeah, like I remember when you when you posted the blog post for it, it got like decent traction, and then like three days later, all of a sudden, it was on the first page of Hacker News, <laughs> and like I came I came to work one morning, and like all the tweets that were mentioning it were just like streaming into the chat room, and I was like, oh, this is this is taking off, and I think you came in, you were like, whoa, what's going on? <laughs> so like, did all of those tweets and stuff did it result in like more uptake of the project? Have you gotten more contributions, more issues? Like, how's that been going since you announced it? Yeah, I think the uh, success it saw on Hacker News was only outpaced by the quick rise in GitHub issues. Huh. <laughs> I've seen a lot of contributions for uh, moving it to different languages, a lot of small bug fixes, and great future ideas. Um, still working on getting it stable across a bunch of different edge cases. And then I think we want to move it to be ORM agnostic, so it'll work on systems that have Mongoid or other databases and then yeah uh, we can start building out the features from there what do you think it's like is there something i have a couple entry questions but is there something right now that you think is missing that's like this isn't 1.0 until x is done is it all of those things before you think administrators you know at that level 1.0 thing or are there just a few bugs that you want to get to what's that roadmap look like Right. We're not exactly feature complete with Active Admin or Rails Admin right now. So one of the big features that is missing is uh, kind of filters. So Active Admin does a really great job with this. Um, they have essentially for any model in your database, it presents you with a list of filters where you can sort or narrow down all of the models in your database. And for an integer field, it'll give you kind of a range box for... Boolean, it'll give you like a checkbox, true or false. So it's a bit smart about that. I was talking with Devin, one of our designers, recently uh, moved from SF to Denver, but she was helping me think through some of the filter UI. And we narrowed it down to a single search box at the top of the page. So one thing, also a little ambitious, but one thing that I'd really like to see is kind of smart searching where you can put in the search bar age is greater than 21 or different queries depending on what the attributes are backing the model. And hopefully through that we can build out the same functionality of filters without a lot of the problems that you were talking about where you need to load in a bunch of associations on the page that slows it down or uh, really calculate what field should be displayed for, uh, for each attribute. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's one of those that's one of those things I think where developers developers want to build filters because filters are easier <laughs> and users want to search because they don't want to think about how you're categorizing the data. They just want to say like show me Grayson or they want to say show me customers who have been subscribed for longer than 3 months or like something like that and like they're happy to use filters, maybe not happy, but they'll use filters if that's what's there for them, but if it if a search works then like 
I think that's even better for users. But yeah, no. it's really it's hard. <laughs> it's going to be hard. <laughs> yeah, I was really thankful that I had the chance to work closely with our designers on this because just coming from the background of Rails admin and Active admin, I wasn't even considering a search box mm-hmm. as a an opportunity. Yeah, I was curious. I know you spent a lot of time thinking about how to make the developer experience better, but it also sounds like you spend at least some amount of time thinking about how to make the out of the box experience for admin users better than it is for say Rails admin. So, what are some other things you thought about? What other features other than search or filtering that you think are maybe a better experience in administrate? Sure. One of the biggest differences that you'll see right out of the box is that on the list page where we have a table of all the records, Active Admin and Rails Admin both take the approach where they list out a few attributes for the record and then present you with a show link. Um, Sometimes it's an icon, but that show link will take you through to more details about each row in the table. Uh, So instead of that, most modern UIs now especially coming from the mobile world. Uh, Users are very used to clicking on entire rows uh, to see what they want. So we had to hack together a pretty interesting JavaScript that essentially turns an entire table row into a link. I learned that you cannot surround a table row with an A tag because browsers yell at you. Oh, I did not know that. Yep. So it was a good experiment. And um, first of all, how do we like start from the interaction that we want and work backwards. And then we had to fill in uh, accessibility for for those links. Are they available on a screen reader? Um, some other concerns like that. So oh, it was yeah. an interesting process. Is Administrate optimized for mobile? It is not yet. <laughs> um, as soon as someone figures out a good way to put tables on mobile. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's So you did go with tables. Yeah, we did. Mm-hmm. So... Right now, they're still the most flexible solution when you don't exactly know what data you'll be working with. So one of our designers, Stephen, has been spending his investment time, at least last Friday, working on kind of a flexbox table layout. Um, That sounds very intriguing, but you really need to know what is the data that will be in the table, how long will it be, uh, where can you cut it off. And so it's a really interesting design constraint to work with. This is a dashboard that should be able to reasonably handle any data in any application. That's cool. So Derek, I had a couple of questions for you. All right, shoot. So I know you maintain clearance, and you've recently been experiencing some pain with, uh, I guess, maintaining a gem that has generated code interacting with library code. Yeah, definitely. So like, I've been thinking about this for a long time. And like, I took over maintaining clearance at when it was like at 1.1 or something like that. And I just released 1.12 last night as of this recording. So I've done a lot of releases of clearance. And I've had in my mind working towards releasing clearance 2.0 for over a year now. Oh, wow. Um, and at, at the beginning of this year in January, I was like, okay, and I didn't, I didn't set myself a deadline because like, realistically i usually only work on this for like half a day on friday and maybe some of my personal time Um, and depending on how interested i am in clearance maybe i'll spend more of my personal time working on it or more of my investment time but 
I, I re- at the beginning of the year, I was like, okay, this is the year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to ship Clearance 2.0 at some point this year. And now we're sitting here, and it's November 18th, I think, <laughs> today. And uh, it's it's not good. It's probably not going to ship this year. <laughs> um, but the reason is because I feel like uh, it's hard to say. So like, there, there's a few different pieces of it. And like the to your question of like clearance has some generated content where um, you can generate the views. And at some point along the way, I added the ability to generate routes because, like you said, I don't I don't like the feeling of hiding away routable parts of the application from the user. Um, so a user would see would, would your application has like all of these login, sign up, all those routes that you don't see in your routes file. So I added the ability to generate them so then people could have full control over like which ones they wanted, stuff like that. But once you do that, right, so once somebody copies the views to their application or they generate those routes or even like they customize the controllers, right? So so Clearance has its own controllers for for registering and things like that. Um, but once if it has it has those are basically broken down into a bunch of template methods that it has default implementation that clearance has default implementations for, but you can override. So once that was made public, all of that is public API now. And if I want to change any of those controller methods, I have to make sure that like they still call the controller methods they used to, they still return the same values, things like that. So it becomes difficult because I have this library code that's going to continue running against code that people generated and customized for a version of clearance for the version of clearance that they installed so if they want to update to take take advantage of some bug fixes or maybe a security fix or something like that that i might push out they also have to take on all this other stuff where maybe their views are now incompatible or something like that so i've been wanting to find a way um i've talked about this on past episodes to like move along to clearance 2.0 kind of the way that ember moved along to ember 2.0 where i leave a trail of deprecations along the 1.x cycle Mm -hmm. and then push 2.0 that basically just removes the deprecations and all the deprecated code but that's a lot of work like ember has a lot of people working a lot of hours on it right and it's turning out like that basically just served to put a lot of pressure on me to like deliver 2.0 in the way that i wanted because i didn't want to i didn't want to have to keep doing like major version updates so it's a problem i don't i don't have a solution to yet because i think i think ultimately i'm just gonna have to get comfortable with the fact that like at Thoughtbot, we produce this work for people to use for free. And if I have to bump the version to 2.0 because I want to make a change to something that I think is just wrong, then I'll do that. And if two months later I bump it to 3.0, then I do that as well, right? Yeah. I don't know. What are your con- what are your concerns around that? So the reason I ask is that Administrate takes a very similar approach to clearance, as far as I can tell, where a lot of the code is... Uh, maybe not generated by default, but to get any customization in your admin dashboards, you need to either generate and override views or generate uh, controllers and override specific actions or um, helper methods. Like uh, we have a helper method you can override to find the resource given the params. So I'm concerned like going from right now, administrated is 0.1.2. So it's still not officially stable and i'm looking at a few of the breaking changes we might have to make when we release 1.0 and that's one of the biggest concerns for me is what will users have overridden and what will break from that yeah it's tricky Mm -hmm. (laughs) um my advice would be to like be clear 
and you don't have to do this yet because you're not 1.0 yet, right? I mean, you don't want to you don't want to screw anybody over, right? You don't want to be like, surprise, I totally changed the app unless you actually have to, right? But like to really nail down what the public part of the API is versus whatever the private part of the API is and signal that somehow. Like clearance didn't do that. There was no documentation for clearance, and we because some of the methods and controllers are that you are expected to override are private because that's how like that's how you want controller helpers to be, right? You don't want them to be routable actions. Right. So because those are private, we can't just say like, oh, that's a private method because that's how we actually expected you to customize <laughs> the behavior. So um, the only way to really signal what is private and what is public is to document it. So I'm going through a giant documentation push now where I'm explicitly documenting private methods that are part of public API and then explicitly marking private methods that are actually private <laughs> as API private with yard doc. Um, so that's going to help a little bit. And then... I don't know. I'm just going to have to get comfortable releasing 2.0, knowing that like some people are going to have to continue to run 1.x. Mm -hmm. And so long as, like, for in Clearance's case, I think that so long as there are no security bugs, that can continue to work just fine for them. Like maybe I don't have to worry about it so much. I think that that could probably be the case for Administrate too, so long as there are no glaring bugs. And even if there are, you could go back and release a 1.x patch release, right? Right. Um, I think. I think that. The higher up the stack you go with these with these libraries and, and engines and things like that, the more you're going to have to get comfortable with the fact that not everybody is going to be able to run your most recent version. And I would love for everybody to like immediately move to Clearance 2.0, and I bet you'd love for everybody to move to Administrate 1.0 whenever you launch that. But like people who have put a significant investment in building a dashboard on something less than 1.0 or maybe when it comes time for 2.0 and Administrate, so they're on 1.0, they're going to get stuck there. Um, and as long as the experience is okay for them, it doesn't matter particularly. The trouble comes when like Rails 6 comes out, right? And those people who are on 1.x want, want, want to be able to update to Rails 6. And it's just mm -hmm. one of those things that I think is really difficult because of the, the coupling at the various levels. I don't have a great answer for it. <laughs> it's funny we're talking about this. It's, it's really resonating with me right now because I am currently engaged in upgrading the um, e-commerce framework spree from 2.1 to 2.2. And I don't know, are either of you familiar with spree? Yeah, I, I just came off a spree project not too long ago. And mm. like my summation of that is like, you don't, you don't have a Rails app that runs spree, you have a spree app. Yep, that <laughs> is a good summary. Um, <laughs> so I am like, up to my neck in exactly what you're describing, where there were really big changes to a lot of things going from Spree 2.1 to 2.2. And there are release notes, right? But the application I'm working on has extensively customized uh, Spree's behavior. Uh, and it's done that by monkey patching a lot of Spree classes. So this has made the upgrade pretty hairy because I'm simultaneously trying to figure out what changed from Spree 2.1 to 2.2 while also trying to figure out in a code base that's pretty unfamiliar to me what the intended behavior is and why it's breaking. So anyway, my point is that something I have found that would be really helpful is that even though there are release notes, there isn't really a comprehensive list of the interfaces that have changed. And I have found several methods whose signature has changed. And just knowing that up front, uh, just like seeing that in a list form would be really helpful. So I would say that's something that uh, should be 
considered when pushing a major yeah. release with breaking changes. That's a good point. So I think in a minor version bump of Administrate, we had a very minor change to uh, some of the views that would be generated into the user's application. Didn't think it was serious enough to do a major bump, especially not to 1.0, but um, one of the things we listed in our change log were the views that were touched. So we made a note that if you have already generated these views into your application, uh, then they may break and you might have to go back and regenerate them and redo the customizations. That uh, sounds really useful. <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Cool. One of the one of the things I did, like Lila, you mentioned the keeping some sort of like log of changes, like a change log. Um, <laughs> Can you imagine? So one of the things at Thoughtbot, we were kind of pedantic about this. So we have we most of our open source project have news files, which are different from the change log in that they're supposed to give you like the top level news, and if you the change log is actually each commit, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's the same idea, right? So. Clearance had a change log when I took it over, which had like, or a new, sorry, news file, which you might consider a change log. And it just was like version whatever, and then a bulleted list of what changed. At some point last year, I became aware of this project from Olivier Lacan, which is keep, keep a change log at keepachangelog.com. So if you go there, he suggests a format for the change log. Um, which is actually super helpful. And I saw it in use on a couple of projects and ended up adopting it for clearance to the point where I went through and I redid the entire news file for all of clearance's history back to 2009. <laughs> um, because the inconsistency Thorough. would have just bothered me too much. Nice. So what I like about it is it spells out like, here's what I added in this release. Here's what changed in this release. And here's what is fixed in this release. And here's what's deprecated in this, this release. So for any release of clearance, if you look at the news file, it's very easy to see like at a high level what changed. So like when I go to 2.0, I will have probably, I don't know, he has a change section. I might actually just call it like breaking changes, right? To be clear that like this is what's going to break. Mm -hmm. um, but each release tells you what you need to know about the changes. And then it links to the actual Git compare between the previous version and that version. So you can see the code if you care to see exactly how it changed. And I found a couple projects that do this, and I was happy with it on clearance. And other people have seen it on clearance and started to take it to some other projects. Um, and I think that that's a really like if more projects did it this way, it'd be a lot easier to to decide whether or not you wanted to take a major version bump, because um, a lot of them are probably not like especially for library code, right? For the for clearance <laughs> and administrate and spree. Um, Man, I hope neither clearance or administrate is bad as upgrading spree. Um, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I don't think for for any of those things. I think that you know you really need to consider these things. But for like library code, most of the time you actually can take major level bumps because you're probably not using the things. So like having a high level place to go and look and see what this is 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 a great idea. And like to the point where I wish that everybody did this, and then somehow we integrated it into like either Bundler or Ruby Gems, where we could say like. Mm. Because in Bundler, you can say, show me everything that's outdated, right? And what if you could say, show me everything that's outdated and show me the change log from that version, right? That requires probably a bit more structure to be able to parse through the file and show me like from one version to another or something like that. But just an idea of like surfacing these things a little better. Even just a link to like, here's where, like if in RubyGems, you could have a field that was like, here's where I keep my news or changes. And, you know, Bundler or RubyGems could show you you know, here's, you know, you're, you're outdated and here's a link to see the change log. You could go right to it and be like, okay, this is what they changed. Yeah, that would be amazing. It would really reduce the amount of time needed to just assess the risk of 
pushing a major upgrade. In a perfect world. Yeah. We'll link to yeah, I mean it still relies on everybody getting that right, right? And I think <laughs> the key the key to that is making the releases super small. Cuz I for a while I kept the news file up to date as I went and now I've just gone to the point where I I write the news file right before I'm about to release. So it's super easy to do if it's a small release and I just have to look through the last few commits and be like, okay, here's what changed. That's not important. Like it was something in the tests. I don't need to log. I don't need to put that in the news file, right? Mm -hmm. um, so usually there's only a handful of things in each entry, which means it's pretty simple to decide whether or not you want to upgrade. Yeah. Yeah, I was listening to your discussion a little while ago uh, about readmes as well. And I think, I think one of the most challenging pieces for me learning about how to maintain uh, an open source project is how to document everything. I think a lot of what we are talking about today is all based around documentation and uh, good change logs, good readmes. Um, so that's definitely a challenge. I think I'm going to be spending my Friday going through and uh, collecting all of the questions I've been asked on GitHub issues and putting them into either a FAQ or uh, some kind of tutorial. Um, a wiki. Uh, yeah, I know how hesitant Derek is about wikis so <laughs> I might avoid that it's fine as long as you're going to maintain it like the it's I don't know we've talked about it probably before I guess we did talk about it uh because Grayson's aware of it right <laughs> <laughs> I just think that that's where documentation goes to die because it gets so outdated and get in, in github wikis in particular yeah are generally pretty bad yeah like the clearance clearances is case in point like I looked at that the other day and I was like oh I forgot this was here yeah they're like, like graveyards <laughs> how much of this is actually accurate still I'm not sure I'm hoping just to replace it with the combination of API documentation and then either like a wiki that I maintain and take pull requests on or patch patch ideas on or whatever but don't just allow people to publish to it willy-nilly so that everything still has like a consistent voice to it mm -hmm. so Grayson if people want to get involved with administrate or use administrate or give feedback on administrate how should they do that that's a great question so we're hosted at github.com slash thoughtbot slash administrate. There's a lot of open issues, uh, mostly there are a bunch of feature requests, um, a lot of, I guess, problems that people have run into that are fairly easy fixes, but they are not documented well. Uh, so we have a separate documentation site that we're working on. Uh, we can link to that uh, documentation and the repo for it in the show notes. And yeah, I think uh, documentation is our biggest battle right now. So uh, we want to make the onboarding process for people as easy as possible. So yeah, check it out. Cool. Cool. Do you want to like? Do you want to tell people what you're up to? Because you're you're actually leaving us next week, right? Oh yeah. Um, <laughs> so this is my last. Because I think it's week pretty cool what you're up to. Um, it is emotional. Oh, um, it's. Do you need a moment? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I've had a few months to uh, okay. come to terms with it. So it, over the summer, I applied for the 2016 Code for America Fellowship program. If you're not familiar with Code for America, they take designers and developers and some project managers, civic hackers. Uh, actually, I think the term is policy hacker, which is awesome. And they pair us up with city governments across the country to solve some uh, any social problem that the uh, cities are having. So for next year, I will either be in spending a good chunk of my time in Seattle or Salt Lake City, helping improve their criminal justice and safety systems. 
That's really awesome. Like when you, I had heard about that program before you had announced that like you were going to be leaving and you announced that a while ago that you were going to be leaving to go do this. And I was like super jealous when you said you were going to do that. I was like, oh, that's a, that sounds like, it sounded like such a cool thing that I would have liked to hear about at the right time in my life. Right. And so I think it's really cool that you're going to do that. I think it's going to be a blast and I hope you come back and join us again afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, yeah. Chad was very generous and just offered me like a sabbatical essentially. So there's a good chance that I'll be back. Uh, maybe not in San Francisco, but uh, keeping an eye what? on. What? <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> I, I don't know. Do right now. The, the Europe offices are pretty cool. Oh, I so. see. Okay. Oh, see. wow. World travel. Fair enough. Fair enough. <laughs> well, good work on Administrate, even though I thought that it was crazy. And evidently, Lila thought it was crazy. And a lot of other people thought you were crazy. Oh. <laughs> the key is that nobody told me it was crazy. So I still went along with it. Okay. Yeah. I'm good. One thing I wanted right. to say is I usually listen to this podcast at 1.5 speed because it times up better with my commute. <laughs> and I'm like shocked at how uh, deep and slow all of your voices are today. <laughs> when I listen to the when I have to listen to the podcast for like review before it goes up so I can make sure the show notes are correct or whatever. Um, and make sure I didn't say anything that's going to get me in trouble. I listen to it just what Tom posts to S3, and so I don't have it in my podcast player, so I have to listen to it at 1x, and I'm like, what? Why Why am I talking so slow? Like, what? what is happening? Uh, so it really throws me for a loop, but yeah, I, I agree. I'm, on, I'm a 1.5x person, too. <laughs> All right. Show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 42. As always, ratings and reviews on iTunes are greatly appreciated. They help people find the show. If you have feedback on this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at underscore Bike Shed, email us at hosts at bikeshed.fm, or leave feedback on the website. Thanks for listening to The Bike Shed.